Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, uh, whatever time it is where you are. Welcome once again to the Working Man's Honest Bicycle Program, a podcast for heady thoughts about cycling. I'm Greg, and of course, with me, as usual, as always, is your friend, my friend, Matteo. How's it going, Matteo? I'm doing great. How are you, Greg? I am doing pretty well. Life's a little crazy, but it's good. It's good. Uh, And... For today, we have a special, special guest. I'm really excited. This is actually like our third guest episode in a row, uh, (laughs) which is pretty awesome. Um, She's a pretty rad elite bike racer. Uh, She's contributed to Embrocation Magazine. Is that right? Uh, Yep. Yep. Embrocation, former rider for the Jam Fund, currently for? Uh, C3 2020. C3 2020. It is Francis Morrison. Also a good friend of mine. Hey, Francis. How you doing, Greg? Welcome, Francis. <laughs> I guess I could tell you again, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, really excited to have you here to hopefully do a little bit of uh, talking about, well, we'll get to it. <laughs> uh, we, we didn't want to do, basically, we're going to start off by talking about some cyclocrossy things, and it's going to be serious cyclocrossy things, because we're uh, going to talk a little bit about uh, the cyclocross Nats fiasco, uh, first, a little bit of information on uh, maybe a little talking about the kind of scheduling crisis itself or, or nimbyism with, with some data on maybe some very preliminary data or discussion of data on the survey that Matteo actually put out into the world uh, about the costs incurred. I'm to... famous because of it. Yes, he's very famous because of it. So now <laughs> this is like <laughs> you're, you're, you're making a day for yourself, Matteo. So... Yeah, uh, I, I guess I'll Finally. start into that. We'll talk a little bit about the juniors thing, too, and then we'll talk more about, in a broader sense, uh, Helen Wyman's piece on equal pay for women in cyclocross, and, and maybe we'll get even even broader than that, but we'll see. So, yeah, I don't think I need to... Probably most of the people who are listening to this have, are already familiar with the fact that cyclocross nationals in Austin on Sunday morning was canceled, uh, and then it was uncanceled for various very complicated reasons. Um and the sort of net result of that was that a bunch of races that were supposed to take place on Sunday originally happened on Monday. And one of the concerns uh, about this was that lots of people couldn't stay because they had real-life jobs. And it's very expensive to stay because they got to change their flights. They've got to book hotels. And uh, Mattia was very active uh, in thinking, hey— Maybe we should actually collect some data on this. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, uh, sure. You know, I mean, being on Twitter uh, the morning that the decision to maybe cancel it, maybe postpone it, uh, the morning that that was announced, um, there was a firestorm. And I'm sure that the firestorm was not only on Twitter, but was also in real life. And people were calling each other and calling their sponsors and their loved ones and trying to figure out what was going on and what it was going to take for them to race in national championships. Um, Because obviously this is something that people are targeting. You know, it it hasn't just been months of preparation. It's been a year or several years of preparation, and it's been a great amount of cost. I mean, yes, this is something that we do uh, as a as a hobby. Um, but they're also, you know, this is people's jobs and people's, I don't know, very, very serious recreation. I mean, hobby stake. doesn't seem so, like a sufficiently serious <laughs> word, but no, know. it's it's more serious yeah. than a hobby. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a lot, it's a lot more serious than a hobby. I, you know, I, it, even if it just comes down to, um, playing sports, it's a lot more serious than a hobby. So seeing the reactions, um, from, you know, my Sunday morning armchair with my cup of coffee as I was scrolling through Twitter, I noticed a lot of people commenting, wow, you know, this is going to cost me a bunch of money to stay for Monday. Um, And while I've never been in a situation of traveling for a race that has been postponed like that, I can certainly imagine, you know, what it would take to scramble to extend all of your logistics and traveling for a race is a logistical fiasco it's difficult if you do it often and if you don't do it often it's even more difficult because you don't know how to do all the little things uh that make it right 
Um, you know, people are going down there with two or three bikes. They're taking planes. They're figuring out where to stay. They're renting cars, this and that. Um, that's a lot of money. And I just, because it seemed like a decision uh, to shift the cost from one entity, um, potentially, onto a whole nother broad group of people, I was really curious if I could capture uh, a sense of what that cost was. And I also figured that there was enough attention on Twitter and in the real life that um, if I whipped up a survey pretty quickly, uh, it would spread around pretty wide. And I figured I had a fair shot of getting about 15 people from each field that was originally scheduled to race on Sunday of responding to this survey. And I also figured it would be interesting to see, uh, to compare the start lists from Monday to the registration lists from Sunday and figure out um, an attrition rate. You know, the number of people who didn't start on Monday, presumably because of the postponement. Right. Though, of and... course, you'd have to cross-reference that against a, a typical do-not-start rate. Right. Which I did. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm eating a piece of chocolate here. Um, <laughs> no, don't eat on the podcast. Or, okay, yeah, go on. It's chocolate, off. it's legitimate. All right, it is. Chocolate yes. right. is a legitimate podcasting food. <laughs> <laughs> so I... um, So I spread the word about this survey. It was a simple survey. Um, and one of the benefits to having it be a survey of racers only is that I could know uh, with perfect precision what the response rate is. I know how many responses I have. I ask people to write their names down. I have starting lists. I can figure out what percent of rate of Sunday and Monday racers responded to my survey. Mm -hmm. And uh, the response rate was way higher than I expected. Um, I have a lot more analysis to do. Um, but at this point, it's probably about 40%. So 40% of everybody who uh, either was registered to race on Sunday or wound up racing on Monday responded to the survey. That's so pretty that impressive. Gives, yeah, and that to me, I, I'm not a data analyst. Um, I just know how to work Excel and um, can stumble through a reasonable analysis. But that just gives me a fair amount of reassurance that I'm not just getting um, like people the angry on Twitter people. or people who are pissed or people who spent a lot of money or, you know, people who care the most. All of these concerns about uh, response bias with with a 40 percent response rate. I, I think that's pretty high. Yeah, that's pretty that's pretty good. You're able to reach a lot of people. So and, and uh, ended up uh you know, contributing to uh, some actual reporting. How about that? <laughs> I'm I'm not media savvy, so you know, the first journalist that emailed me asking for results, I just like gladly dropped everything and crunched up some initial numbers and sent them over. And then one of the initial things that I realized just by comparing the results on Monday to the registration lists from Monday was that there was a very high attrition rate of. Uh, about 22%. So 22% of people who were registered to race the national championships on Sunday did not race on Monday. And from that, you know, we can't figure out why, if it was due to the postponement or if it was due to something else like an injury or something. Um, but we do know that that's a, that's a legit attrition rate from the Sunday to Monday move. Um, the question, of course, is that... Uh, is that attrition rate uh, consistent with what we would see um, ordinarily? And the answer is very much no. I took a look at uh, the registration lists from earlier in the week, all the races prior to Sunday, and I looked at the registration lists and I compared them to the results, and all of those other races had an attrition rate of 4%. Oh, so 4% wow. of people did not start races that they were registered for until Monday when that uh, jumped up uh, to 22%. So a five-fold increase in race attrition. Um, that sounds pretty significant. That's, that's serious business. Yeah, I mean, even even N of 1, that, that'll make you sit up and take notice. So 
Do you happen to have, um, and I believe that the, this was quoted in the Velo News article. By the way, uh, all you listening, we are going to have a bunch of links for this in our show notes. So just FYI, if you're listening to this on the web, just scroll down from the player. You'll find them there. Uh, if you're listening through a podcast app or iTunes, uh, you can go to standarddouble.com slash WHPP slash 13. That's the number 13, uh, and you'll find them there. Uh, so do you happen to have a ballpark, like an initial, you know, I emphasize uh, an initial mean or median uh, cost per racer for the extension? Uh, yeah, the, the average cost... Uh of those that responded to the survey was almost a thousand dollars. Um, and the reason that this is preliminary is that there's some additional data cleaning that needs to be done. Um, yeah. there are like a couple sort of curious entries that don't, uh, make a whole lot of sense that should be, you know, I should figure out how to handle those. Um, and depending on how I handle a couple of those entries, um, that actually lowers the average, um, by by removing some of the strange entries, it, it lowers yeah. the well, average. Well, that's why I was also suggesting that the between nine hundred and a thousand, yeah, might be helpful yeah. too. But I don't have that yet. But I will. <laughs> yeah, cool. Uh, do, do you know? I I am happy to report that the reason I don't um, yet have all of the analysis is that I spent uh, Tuesday through Sunday in sunny California, where the weather, the temperature was uh, over sixty degrees warmer than it was uh, in Minneapolis when I left Minneapolis for San Francisco. Oh, maybe so. maybe we should have you tell us Serious about that jealousy. in our next episode. Serious <laughs> jealousy. Right now it is freezing rain, and my driveway is, you could skate on it, literally. You could just put some blades on your feet and skate all over it. Oh, I'm glad it's a bargain. Your driveway is awesome. <laughs> yeah. We did do some sick what sideways slides in the car today on the driveway nice oh that's so funny you can't really do that in boston you tend to crash into things <laughs> you can do it when you live out in the woods <laughs> yeah there are more there are more things to crash your car into here it's a problem the only thing i have to crash my car into <laughs> are trees chickens and sometimes other cars well in fairness there are a lot of trees and chickens out in that's your true. neck of the woods that's true though they're not so much chickens they tend to stay underneath their little chicken protectors yeah. So um, maybe I'm glad to report that the only crashing done on my vacation was uh, in a taqueria in San Francisco. You crashed your car into a taqueria? floors and road shoes. Oh my God, I'm picturing a car crashing into a taqueria now. <laughs> and <laughs> no, it is amazing. A person, a person in Full of shoes. delightful, you know, <laughs> d- delightful spices and <laughs> flavorings. Just your car's filled with taquitos. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. We should. Uh, Right. So, uh, okay. So there's more to come on the, uh, on the survey results. Do you happen to have a place? Are you going to be putting this somewhere? Are they going to be on Squadrolytics? Are you going to report them on Twitter or something? Medium? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I'm likely to report the summary on Twitter and I'll offer like a public um, Google Drive document. And I'll probably also put some stuff up on Squadrolytics and on standarddouble.com slash WHBP. Cool. The the information will be out there. I'll link um, to your stuff. I don't want to. I don't want to take too much credit for your hard work, <laughs> but we'll <laughs> we'll uh, make sure that um, we'll pr- probably mention that in uh, a couple weeks or so. Because that sounds good. Somehow yeah. somehow I'm guessing we won't have it on next week's episode, but uh, mm-hmm. we'll probably have it before then. All right. So uh, yeah. moving right along, we we I think aren't going to spend too much time talking about sort of the details of why. Uh, nationals was canceled and how that went down and whose fault it is um, or any of that stuff because it's been kind of hashed out a bunch and I think facts are still coming out and I'm not sure um, facts and hearsay and speculation and just oh my yeah and there's a lot of opportunities to to be angry and upset I, I guess the one thing I will comment on is just I've been kind of uh I don't know. I, I just that I understand and feel the frustration that um, the whole cyclocross community feels, but uh, it seems a, a, a little bit strange to me to have a bunch of uh, uh, cross racers who are kind of um, in you know in the cycling world uh, anyway, and maybe in general kind of granola crunchy hippie types, you know, <laughs> compared to roadies <laughs> getting uh, 
calling people tree huggers and stuff. That's been weird, <laughs> to say the least. But it does suck. But there, I think that there yeah. are other consequences beyond the cost, beyond anything else, uh, and that has to do with scheduling of races. And, and there was actually the other kind of major controversy around uh, cross-nats wasn't really the tree thing. It had to do with the the junior race that took place on Sunday. I don't know. Maybe I should hand that. Uh, do you mind if I hand that over to you for a little bit, Francis? Can you kind of explain what went on and why it was upsetting? Sure, sure. So I think um, this this situation is also it's it's pretty interesting because there is also rampant speculation and hearsay uh, and actual legitimate facts going around uh, with this controversy as well. But um, the basic premise is that there were five races to take place on. Sunday that then had to be compacted into a essentially five hour schedule on Monday. And these were the elite men, elite women, U23 men, and then our junior races, which uh, were scheduled to be the 15, 16 women, uh, 15, 16 men, and 17, 18 uh, women. And actually, am I forgetting one? Was it also 17, it was also, 18 men? Yeah. So 17, 17 18, 18 men, well. men and women and 15, 16 men and women. Yep. I mean, these, these are separate. These are separate fields, of course. But yeah, anyway. all, all separate fields. Um, and so the way that this was was done uh, was compacted was that uh, the elites in the U23s were all given their own uh, flagship events, which absolutely, as they should be, um, there's no question those should be running as their own on their own courses on their own time. Um, and then they had to do a little bit of kind of cobbling and scrambling with the other races. Uh, and so what happened with that was that they, uh, and Greg, correct me again if I get any of the facts wrong here, okay. they ran the 15-16 boys uh, alone on the course on their own time, and then they ran the 15-16 girls, 17-18 girls, and 17-18 boys all on the course at the same time. Yep. Yep, that's that's right. So if this sounds strange to you, it certainly is. Uh, and given that these are fairly short races uh you know they're ranging between uh i mean the 15 16 girls were finishing at 30 minutes um i think the 17 18 girls were about the same and the 17 18 boys were a little bit longer um so it's a really short race on a pretty long course as well the course i think was running around like 13 14 minutes for some of the younger the younger girls um And, and, and to add part of the reason for that is that so normally there are uh, turnoffs in the course to shorten it. Yeah, for there, the junior there is a races. shortened course for yeah, the juniors, which right? They, and those they could are no longer employ. right. Yeah, those are no longer available because of the course changes made to satisfy. Well, yeah, anyway. Yeah, and I mean, there, concession absolutely concessions had to be made. You know, they had to. They were scrambling. They had to get these races done. Uh, but the problem is that the uh, the order of events for we're just going to kind of focus here on the the three and one. Let's call it race. Uh, the order of events was that the the seventeen eighteen boys went off first, and then a minute after that the seventeen eighteen girls went off, and then a minute after that the fifteen sixteen girls went off. Now uh, the problem with this, and if any of you have uh, have read Colin Reuter's blog, which Greg, I'm assuming you're going to link. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to I am going to link to that most um, definitely. It's a good read. He does his own research. Uh, he's got a lot of the facts straight. Um, hopefully, which I will not botch in the retelling. Um, the problem with this is that uh, given that you're pitting 15, 16 year old girls against 17 year old, 18 year old boys, they had no chance of not getting lapped. So getting lapped was expected. But the travesty, we'll call it a travesty for the moment. The travesty of this is that uh, the officials were not planning, at least from what was broadcast to the public, the officials were not planning on letting any lapped riders stay on course, which meant uh, as things played out, the 17, 18-year-old boys, as they came up on and passed the 15, 16-year-old girls, would be pulled from their race, uh, which amounted to That is more the 15, 16-year-old than... girls would be pulled from the race. Yes, we'll be, sorry. Girls will be pulled from their race. So which amounted to uh, well over 50% of these girls being pulled from their national championship race in the first lap. So obviously this caused a huge firestorm on Twitter. Well, and beyond that, so, and also though the facts on this are a little bit 
uh, it's it's kind of unclear exactly what went on there. But the right. understanding, at least, this, has this been is... that the winners of that the the winner of that race, the fifteen sixteen race, was pulled for was the pulled, win. Was pulled for the win. Yep. Right. She was so she didn't at least from um, what she put on her social media accounts and what was broadcast. Um, what we were seeing, the people who were not there, myself included, mm-hmm. um, was that she was pulled from her race for the win and didn't realize she was winning her own race. Um, there are more facts on it, but I think the third and fourth place were pulled together, didn't understand that they were being pulled, didn't have a chance to sprint for their placing. Um, right. So this... And that right there is, is you know, such a damn shame because it, it, it makes it not really a bike race if the, the people racing it don't are not given an adequate understanding of exactly where the finish line is exactly and i mean that that that's part of of you know the the officials and usa cycling uci whoever happens to be officiating the race that's that's their job to make sure that the racers understand how long their race is how long they'll be racing for and where the finish line is and when that occurs mm-hmm. um and so you know obviously huge firestorm occurs um but uh to USA Cycling's credit, they have released some statements about this. I think they heard that we were pretty pissed off about this. Um, and one of the interesting things was stating that um, because uh, the course lengthened so much because they couldn't cut it for the usual junior course, and because the the 15, 16-year-old girls were running 13, 14-minute laps and their race was only 30 minutes long, that they were only going to do two laps for their race anyway. So, you know... We can speculate on if this was just USA Cycling kind of covering their behinds and being like, oh, well, they should have known it was only going to be a two-lap race. Or if, you know, this information wasn't communicated to the 15, 16-year-old girls ahead of time. But kind of what it boils down to is that it's pretty clear, given the coverage um, from what you see in, in the feeds and what people said afterwards, that these girls didn't understand that the race was ending and are getting pulled from their race when they're getting lapped by older, stronger male riders, um, right. which I believe is, is really the core issue here is that you're taking the, the future potentially of women cycling and you're telling them intrinsically that their racing is worth less than the men's race. Yeah, so I think this is really the nub of it. And this is something that, that Colin Reuter um, has covered in his blog posts uh, really uh, pretty eloquently and that uh, I remember you were quite unhappy about with uh, <laughs> on, on Twitter fans. I, I, yep, that is true. <laughs> yeah, and, and it is exactly that. It's it's really upsetting to see that, you know, I think as you put it right, this is the, the this, these are impressionable athletes. You know, yeah, the they're, these are the, the most impressionable athletes, arguably. I mean, this is, it's a critical, critical stage of development for young women. You know, this is the time where you know you're in high school you have all this pressure to join other sports if you're interested in doing something sporty or dropping sports altogether and so you know this is the time where they're going to decide you know am i going to do this crazy sport is this something i like to do uh is this something i'm good at and you know how can you decide if you're good at something if the officials decide you're it's not even worth letting you quote unquote finish your race even if you technically did but it's like if you can't sprint for the finish line and you can't post up and understand that you won your race, you know, how is it really taking a win? Right. And while seeing that, you know, while seeing your your male peers uh, get to, you know, race past you and, you know, their race, you know, just just by nature of how how things being are, are being organized and being staged, you know, they whether intentionally or not, you know, the boys get are getting priority effectively. Right. And I, I think um, the, the other kind of thing that, that doesn't quite follow for me is that a lot of what, what USA Cycling says in their statements um, is that the, in a nationals race, their, their intention is, is to protect the podium and to protect the, the podium racers for all of those races and that they made uh, decisions to kind of line, line up with that, that thinking. Uh, but that, that doesn't and really that, and follow. And that's just to, to sort of clarify can I just jump in? Like yeah. when sure. they're saying protect the podium, they're saying make sure that the, the front of these races have a clean race. Yes. Make sure the front of these races have a clean race. Make sure we have a clear five person podium. That's what yeah. they want. Mm-hmm. Th- that is that is their intention. And that's that's fine. Uh, but I, well, I, don't I have think things to say they... about that, but that can wait. <laughs> well, I, I, but I mean, like just just sticking just clean cleanly to the issue here is that, uh, you know, I, I don't think they did that with the 15, 16 year old girls race. 
I don't think they did that at all. Yeah, um, I agree with that. I, I don't think they, if, if their intention was to make sure that every category had a protected, clear race for the podium, they did not do that at all with the 15, 16-year-old year old girls. I mean, we had we had a clear winner with the 17, 18. We had a clear winner uh, with the men and for the, all the other races. But, you know, for the 15, 16, it, it didn't matter if, if Turner Ramsey, the winner of the 15, 16-year-old girls race, was two, three, 30 seconds, 10 seconds in front of her competition because she didn't know her race was finishing. Right, right. Yeah, it, it's, 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 it's really not enough to say, oh, well, she was going to win anyway. You know, that's not satisfying. That's not, that's not okay. <laughs> yeah, no, and I mean, you, you can argue back and forth, I think, with, uh, you know, nitpicking about the rules and about, well, you know, we did the best we could. It was a longer course. We had to smash them all together. And the other issue was that is that, no, you didn't have to smash them all together into one race. You didn't have to do a three-in-one race. And I think Colin kind of puts this pretty eloquently. Um, and I, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me about what the uh, the field sizes were. But USA Cycling's decision was based off of the fact that the 15-, 16-year-old boys race was the largest field of the three. And so they wanted to isolate that race and kind of let it run uh, on its own for fear of, you know, overcrowding the course. Right. Um, and so, but the, I forget which field was um, the second largest, but it was one of the ones, I think it was like a just over a hundred and then in the mid nineties. So two, two very comparable uh, fields in terms of the amount of people on the course at the same time. So the second largest field was actually the other junior men's field. So yep. 15, 16 junior men was 84 starters. Okay. Uh, 17 uh, junior men was 52. And actually, the junior women fields were both around the same. They were 23 and 21. Yep. Uh, and which one is which is not particularly important. Right, right. So the and two so men's fields are the much bigger ones. Yeah. And so so there, I think uh, there's, you know, there's three ways you could have, you could have run the races. Uh, you could have done it in the way that USA Cycling did it with uh, isolating the 15, 16 boys field, running their own race, and then putting all the other three fields together. You could have run the 15, 16-year-old boys and the 17, 18-year-old boys together, uh, which probably would have been fairly crowded given the, uh, the field sizes that Greg just quoted, uh, or, and, and then run the um, 17, 18, and 15, 16-year-old girls together, or you could, have, um, you could have run the 17, 18-year-old girls with their comparable age group in the boys and the same with the girls. So there, there were other options that, that USA Cycling had given their, yeah. their limited time slot. And it's fair to say that there are compromises to all of these, but, but nonetheless, there are other options. And, and, and depending on what your, your, what your goals are, the other ones might look better. Uh, I really encourage people to read Colin's um, blog. It's, it really lays this out pretty well. It does. Yeah. I, I mean, suffice it to say that um, regardless of the intent and regardless of, of what the officials thought, uh, was the best possible outcome. Uh, I think there's no question that this wasn't it. No, it it wasn't it. And I mean, like, uh, I mean, I I know the chief um, officiating um, woman who who was who was at the you know the start finish line there. Dot. She's she's a great person. She's not a terrible person. She wasn't trying to do it to, um, you know, stunt uh, women cycling or or girls cycling. Um, and I understand that, you know, decisions have to be made, but in this case, it was, I think, a particularly damaging decision. Yeah. It, and I, I'm going to, I'm going to jump in here because I, 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 uh, try very hard to understand things from officials point of view, because I think as bike racers, it's really easy to take officials for granted, uh, and to not understand their role. Um, and to really just sort of have a knee jerk reaction that, uh, everything they do is wrong, even if we don't entirely understand what they do or why. Um, and so, you know, if this happened in some uh, local or even regional race when, you know, they had to uh, get the races done before the sunset, then it would be a, a little bit more understandable from that perspective of oh, officials have a tough job and like they've got their own priorities. And even if they don't always line up with how we think things should be done, like, Let's let's give them the benefit of the doubt. But in this situation, you know, it's the national championships. It's being live streamed over the Internet. Tens of thousands of people are, are watching and, and paying attention to this. And you, you got to get it right. Yeah, it's it's definitely That's, a situation where all eyes were on them. Yeah. And, and I think it what yeah. comes down to for me and, and, and part of why this was really 
upsetting um, to me personally. I mean, yeah, I know I've I've got uh, an X and a Y chromosome, but you know, I, <laughs> it's still upsetting. Um, is when so there are situations sometimes like this where the pressure is high, uh, and you need to make you need to make tough decisions, and you know, no matter what you do, people are going to be unhappy. There's there's certainly no way that there wouldn't have been some unhappy people, um, but. The problem is that there's, you know, this is part of a pattern, right? Which is that when the chips are down and someone has to take one for the team, um, who is it that has to do that? And every, every single time, every single time, it's the women. Always. Just again and again and again. Um, and it's not because the officials are bad people. You know, it's not because they're sitting there thinking how great it would be if they can do something really sexist. You know, because we're just all in, you know, totally bathed in this stew of uh, <laughs> right of culture that we just kind of get used to that being how how we make decisions about this but those decisions have consequences and they're harmful i don't know that's that's kind of there are why i find it distressing yeah and you know this uh should we like segue into the the Helen Wyman stuff? Because I this think is we will. I do want to make one more. I do have another point. On, yeah, I have, uh, I have one more point I want sure. to make too. Well, Francis, why don't you go first? Great, go for it. Sure, sure. So I I guess um, you know, an, another reason that this kind of distresses me is that it was almost overlooked. Um, the fact that this happened almost went just flew completely over the radar. Um, I was actually the one who pointed it out on Twitter. Um, because people, I think, were saying that, oh, the 15, 16-year-old girls are going to get lapped. They're starting two minutes behind uh, boys who are two, one and two years older than them. And then I had heard the announcer say that they were going to pull all lap riders from the course. So I flagged that, and I said, oh, well, if they're pulling all lap riders from the course, then that means the 15, 16-year-old girls are not going to have that much of a race. Um, and that kind of started the kind of firestorm of it. But um, what's disturbing is that they, they showed so little coverage of these races and that women's races in general, especially if there is another men's race going on, receive so little coverage. And, uh, I know that they, in, during the live feed, you know, they said several times, you know, we, we would love to show you more of, you know, Emma White was racing at the time, um, phenomenal racer, uh, at the front of the 1718 women's race. You know, we'd love to show you more of her, but we have to, you know, we're, we're stuck with the camera, you know, we're tied to the camera. Um. And that's just kind of like that's that's our that seems to be the cultural bias there is that it's always assumed that the men's race is the the race that that we should watch. And so issues like this, issues that are so important and so um, intrinsic in what goes on with with kind of like the wrongness of this, often go overlooked and can go overlooked just simply because they're not they're not highlighted, they're not broadcasted because you know the fifteen sixteen year old girls race was not an important race. It was not an important race to be shown. It was only really important for, for those women. And it kind of like, you know, people can highlight it and they can say, wait, this is wrong. And then it can turn into what it is now where we're talking about it on a podcast. But it very nearly just flew right out the window and in a case where potentially no one would have even noticed it. Right, yeah, and, and it is, yeah, exactly. And that's why, you know, it, this is insidious because, again, it's not like the, the producers who are deciding which camera is going to the live feed, you know, at any given time is, you know, steepling, you know, his or her fingers <laughs> and, like, you know, being saying, ha-ha, I don't care what the girls' race is doing, let's show the men. Uh, you know, that's not what's going on. But it's because, you know, like... So I wouldn't have known uh, about this uh, until you started tweeting about it, Francis. And actually, I wasn't watching the race at all. If I had, who knows if I would have thought twice about it, right? Like I'm not, I'm not some paragon of uh, of virtue. I'm, you know, I'm I'm not necessarily great at this being like being this, you know, anti-sexist feminist crusader all the time. Because you know, I'm in the same the same stew that everyone else is. So yeah, I, I'm I'm glad that it came to attention. I'm I'm glad people got angry about it. Um, I, I, it's it's interesting I'm, because it was a question yeah. for a while when I flagged it of are people going to get angry about this and and they mm -hmm. did and I mean like you know Colin who has a, a very large Twitter presence happened to pick up on it and he was angry about it and but you know I, I'm always um, you know and I mean as from my perspective as a woman when I flag these sorts of things I'm always kind of questioning in my head well 
is there, there's two reactions that people can have here. They can either be angry about it or they can kind of have uh, an almost patriarchal tone about it and be like, mm. oh, well, that's that's not important. Why are you even bothering to, to of course, of course, they're going to get pulled. Why would you even bother to mention that? That's that's an obvious statement. Yeah. And then kind of that that's kind of like the browbeating that, you know, you go you go back into the into the, the forest and um, until the next issue crops up and you wonder, are people going to care about this? Is it going to be a big deal? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, my last thought on this, because I did want to come back to the podium thought, because because I, I, I was I don't know, <laughs> I, I don't have such a large Twitter presence, <laughs> but I was pretty um, I was kind of upset about the discussion about, well, our number one goal is preserving the podium. You know, I don't want to get too deep into this, but I think it really says a lot, um, unfortunately, about kind of the institutional priorities of uh, USA Cycling, not, you know, not just when it comes to junior women's racing, but when it comes to junior racing in general, which is they're thinking about who are the next superstars going to be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and those are the podium, and that's what we're worried about. But in order to build a strong um, talent base uh, for the future of, of the sport, for, for developing and, and continuing to have a, a good and, and getting a stronger, um, you know, USA presence internationally, um, we got to care about depth as well. We got to look past the podium, right? This is about all juniors. This is about, um, you know, some some people are slow bloomers and they aren't on the podium yet. Well, we still got to foster them. Um, having more people in the juniors racing, more juniors racing, period, means that it doesn't look like such a weird thing to do. So more more kids might do it and their parents might be like, oh, that looks like this is something you can do, right? Like, it, it bothers me that we're saying, all right, let's look for the superstars. Let's let's worry about developing the kids that are hitting the podium. Um, yeah. and, and let's not, you know, well, you know, the other racers... We want them to have a good race if we can, but that's not our highest priority. And I, I can see arguments made on the other side of that, but I find that kind of troubling. And yeah, so no, that, that's how it I is. take about It's a troubling mentality. That. And I mean, you have yeah, to also consider good. that, um, you know, for probably all of those juniors, there's parents on the sidelines who have probably funded their trip in its entirety. Mm. Um, and so, you know, you're, you're looking at the junior race and you're looking at... Um, a lot of sets of parents who had to front that, um, you know, that average of a thousand extra dollars in order to have their kids stay to race an extra day and getting that double slap in the face of, oh, especially I would assume the 15, 16 year old girls of, oh, we don't care about your daughter's race enough to actually give the winner um, a definite finish. And we also don't care about the fact that you put up a financial contribution to have them stay in race. Pretty brutal. All right, I think uh, if maybe we should uh, uh, move on to the our, our kind of last topic. Is that okay? Sure. All right. Uh, so from here, I think we'll jump into kind of I don't know. Wanna, I don't know if I want to say broader, but yeah, talking about like pay equality and and uh, at at the highest level of the sport because recently um, Helen Wyman. Uh, got into posting a bunch of things on Twitter and then wrote a really great um, blog about this that got published on Cycling News. It's called as, Pressing the Equality Button. Yes, Pressing the Equality Button. And, and of course, we'll link to that. That really laid out, I think, super clearly um, the, the problem. Like, ha- First of all, uh, it's really eye-opening how, how big the gap is in terms of uh, equality uh, in pay in in racing um between men and women at the international level in cyclocross uh and and also and just just to just yeah. to give like a, a brief you know perspective on this for our listeners at a recent world cup the total prize list for women was 7400 euros uh for the elite women and the total prize list for the elite men was 42500 euros yeah <laughs> so you're talking so so if you want percentages by the way the women's total prize purse is 17.4% uh, the size of the men's total prize purse. So. That's very small. It's very small. It's incredibly small. <laughs> yeah. It's and laughably it, um, small. <laughs> right. Especially for, for a discipline where, you know, for, I mean, of course, yes. Yes, the women are doing shorter races, but they are required to by the rules. 
And yes. probably, I, you can tell me what you think. I mean, I know you aren't racing World Cups, Francis, but, you know, would you would you mind racing for an hour? Would that be bad? No, absolutely not. I would race for an hour. Yeah. And I mean, like, it's it's just, it's not, uh, you know, I, I feel like people who, who bring up this issue and say, oh, well, I mean, the women only race for 40 minutes and the men race for an hour, so why should they get equal prize money? It's like, do you think we walk up to the uh, officials of the race that morning and go, you know, I'd really rather race for 40 minutes today instead of 60. Could you cut my race down, please? <laughs> that's that's not how it works. We're told the time, and I mean, UCI is incredibly strict. Um, we're told the time that we race, and that is, you know, once we get on course, we have no control over when our race ends. None. I mean, they, they choose, sometimes it's 39 minutes, sometimes it's 49 minutes, you know, it can go in that range. Um, but I mean, all of the women competing in elite cyclocross absolutely have the fitness to race for an hour. That shouldn't even be a question. Yeah. So I'm actually not quite sure where, <laughs> where I'm headed next with this, but um... okay. So I, I've got a direction that I, that I would love to head. Okay. Um, great. <laughs> because, uh, after after Helen Wyman's piece was published, I you know poked around a little bit on Twitter and on some of the bicycle message boards, um, and I I kind of noticed that there were, you know obviously some people were in the camp of yeah Helen Wyman's great this is a travesty, and some people were in uh, what Francis you know you described earlier as that patriarchal tone go back into the woods uh, don't pay attention to this blah 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 like all there were all these uh reasons for this travesty that please, were for the capital you know, and, r and one of them is please tell me the reasons yeah um <laughs> you know when one of them is well the women race shorter yeah they but they race you know 70 percent the time not 17.4 percent yep. the time um uh so i'm actually kind of interested in, in going through some of the reasons and uh systematically demolishing them yeah. I would love that. Are, are you too interested in this? I yeah, love nothing more. All right. Okay. So one of them is there's not enough money uh, to pay people equal prize money. That's an interesting one. And I think uh, Helen has a pretty simple solution for it. Uh, she says, mm -hmm. you know, I understand we can't just pull money out of thin air and equalize the prize money that way. So why don't we pull the prize money and split it? Boom. And I think that's... yeah. <laughs> it's it's a great solution, um, but I don't think it's a necessarily ra reasonable solution in terms of what's actually going to happen. I think it's a very fair and rational solution, and I would love to see it enacted. But given mm -hmm. the patriarchy and the sexism, especially that I see in the UCI and especially in Belgian racing in particular... I don't see anyone going for that that runs the races. Um, <laughs> right. Which is and it real might shame. Be, and there it, might be sponsor challenges, too, with that. Well, that, that's where the... Where all of a sudden, oh, well, we, we are sending this toward the men's field. Yeah, that, that's kind of the... Uh, it's a, I feel it's, like that's, um, it's a twofold issue here, and that a lot of people um, that I've talked to about this issue have said, well, uh, you can't just look at it from an equality issue and from a, a sexist issue. You have to look at it. This is a business. This is a business issue. And so they're, you know, what they, they lay down is to say, well, the men simply bring in more money. The men bring in more money. The women don't bring in nearly as much money. Um, and therefore, you know, they, they get their fair allotment, um, which I don't, I don't think is, is necessarily true. Well, and that actually as long as we're on this, that, that, that does feed into, um, again, it's a twofold issue. Um, because, uh, so there's another piece and, and we won't talk about it at length because there's been so much writing about this, but, uh, Janelle Holcomb and Robin Farina have, uh, a commentary piece that got published on Bell News a couple of days ago, uh, called the March toward equality hasn't, doesn't have to be slow. And it's talking about basically the UCI can work harder and faster, um, to support women's cycling. Oh, right. absolutely. And, yeah, absolutely. And one of the, without right. question. And, and one of the p points that they make is uh, part of how you get people uh, a product you have, which is what these bike races are. They're a product. Uh, part of how you get those products to make money is that you promote them uh, and saying, look, these women's cycling races are under-promoted, right? That's the other side of it. With the, if it's not bringing in enough money, you got to promote it better, right? If we care about this, we got to advertise it. we got to make it exciting 
And there's no reason that you shouldn't be able to do that because these races are every bit as and often right now, you know, in cyclocross and on the road, more exciting than the men's races. Absolutely. And I think that that is a completely valid point to make. And I think, you know, it go, it goes back to really it's it's a is it a chicken, you know, a chicken or the egg problem? Um, you know, because you're talking about it in terms of like, you know, people are saying, well, you know, women's cycling doesn't bring any money. And then there's the like, well, obviously it doesn't bring any money. It's not promoted. It's not shown on television and people aren't given an opportunity to enjoy it and watch it and invest in it. Um, and then people are saying, okay, well then we have to front the money in order to do that. And we're not sure that people are going to enjoy it and, uh, watch it and invest in it. Uh, and so we're kind of balancing on that precipice of are are we going to do it? Are we really going to, you know, if we put women on prime time, are people going to watch it? And I think the answer to that is is yes, especially in cyclocross, uh, because of what Helen highlights in particular is that, you know, just because our, our races are 20 minutes shorter doesn't mean that they're any less exciting. We're racing on the same terrain. Uh, we go through the same obstacles. Uh, she highlights a couple um, amazing, phenomenal cyclists, Vos, Nash, you know, these are people who are just phenomenal talents. I mean, Vos right. is arguably the, you know, one of the greatest cyclists in no, the I don't world. Think that's, I don't think that's arguable. It's a, no, <laughs> I, I, I don't think so either, but for the, for the sake of, for the sake of the podcast, <laughs> arguably <laughs> yeah. she's one of the greatest cyclists. I mean, she's won every world championship that she has put her mind to, she, you know, she says, Oh, I'm going to go win the road world championship this year. And then she doesn't, you can't, there, there's no male equivalent to that. There's none. And I mean, who wouldn't want to watch that? And yeah. I think, I mean, you have, uh, if you look back at the, uh, the London Olympics, you have Bradley Wiggins famously saying, uh, that the, uh, the women's road race was more exciting than the men's race to watch. Which so it was. It was, I mean, it, it was, it was, uh, it had a lot more going on and it's just, you know, I think the, the idea that oh women women are weaker and therefore their races will be much less exciting for us to watch um you know we don't have the same uh you know machismo in it we can't you know root for our favorites and it's it's just no it's it's you know you can put just as much passion and really you know there, there's just as much athleticism going into the women's races right. and, and the I only think, reason yeah that you don't know who the stars the, are I, is because I, I it's underpromoted the... like that's why you don't know who the people are yeah yeah, I think the issue of, of the racing being exciting is an interesting one because um, I uh, like women's racing. I find it very exciting. Um, but some of the, the naysayers who spoke out against Helen Wyman's piece, you know, uh, said that men deserve more prize money because their racing is, simply put, more exciting. <laughs> um, and one of the reasons that I, I think that's kind of a, a just a... <sighs> Well, there's a perceptual thing going uh, on there. Yeah, that, that, that's... Yeah, but it's also, like, there's not an excitement meter. You know, it's like, and... it's racing being done by men, therefore more exciting. Yeah, but and there's not an excitement meter, and the prize money is not, like, awarded based on how exciting... No, it's not. ...something is, you know? There's no, like, cumulative data on how exciting men's races are and how exciting women's races are. Like, this is not something that's that's actually like linked to the issue that we're talking about that's yeah true, and, and i mean like that's it, like yeah. go, me going into uh, a restaurant and saying like you know i really feel that you should be serving the chicken sandwich to everyone because i think it's the best yeah no fair <laughs> enough fair enough that's, yeah. a, that's a good point and especially because there might be a time you know there might be a time period where the women's racing is less exciting For um, sure. and that doesn't Sometimes... mean it, and that doesn't make it any less right Sometimes the men's race is more exciting. Sometimes the women's race is more exciting. It's not a set in stone yeah. sort of issue. <laughs> right. Okay. So... I, and I think this is also related to to the 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 other argument that um, the men are faster, and so they deserve more prize money. Yeah. And yeah. The the thing that like enrages me about that is that nowhere in the you know the 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 race bible uh, does it say that prize money is given based on how fast anybody finishes a cross race. Well, our should, should, prize, Cup, uh, should prices be lower now that the men's races are kind of slower? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, but, speed, you know, speed of races. And is... only... Mm -hmm. go, go ahead, Francis. No, no, go ahead. Sorry, finish your thought. All right. Um, ultimately, and only, people are given prize money based on finishing order. And at the next World Cup, if the women turn a 
completely scorching race and finish with lap times comparable to the men's races, they're still not going to be given equal prize money. So, like, this argument about speed being somehow related to prize money is is total crap. You can't really tell how fast they're going anyway. Like, a camera makes, <laughs> you know, looking at a bike race through a camera, it always looks like they're not going that fast. I know, and they, they yeah. uh, I, I hate that argument as well because it makes it sound like you're watching NASCAR racers and then you put your grandma on the course in her Camry and you watch her go around, which <laughs> is not the case at all. I mean, you're watching, <laughs> you're watching seasoned athletes uh, go around an incredibly technical, incredibly difficult course. And a lot of these people arguing this, I mean, the naysayers, I'd say like, okay, you go around the World Cup course, you follow Vos around and tell me that she's slow. And... It's just like it's ridiculous. <laughs> and I mean, I, I think, you know, going back to the, the issue of the prize money is that, um, you know, the men are being paid out in these races so deeply that riders who are five laps down from the winner are still getting their 300 euro if they finish in the top 50, whereas women are only paid out if they finish in the top 25. And I think Helen quoted that yeah. uh, riders who are all lead lap went out to all the, all the way out to 39. And that's uh, also stating that these fields, in terms of their breadth, are mostly comparable. Yeah, actually, that's it's worth bringing it back to that because, first of all, we should come back to you know just just going through these uh, reasons, and, and we should also find a way to wrap up pretty soon. Um, you know, find some note to close on. But I think this is actually an important point, right? Which is that, and this is right in Helen Wyman's piece, um, which is uh, I'm looking at my notes here. So 36 men finished on the lead lap of uh, this World Cup, which is Namor, by the way, Namor, whatever, um, the really muddy one in uh, uh, Wallonia instead of Flanders. Flanders. Uh, so, but but they paid a top 50, right? So you've got something like 14 men um, who were lapped who still got 300 euros apiece. Whereas, just, so that's literally just for showing up. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly, just for showing up. Pretty much, because I mean, if you're if getting you lapped, flip I mean, your come pedals on. in and you start the race, you will get your 300 euros as long as you keep pedaling. Right. Whereas in the women, you have three more women finishing on the lead lap. Which, by the way, uh, another reason that's been given is that women's races are less competitive. That's not really true. <laughs> it's just not true. You know, when you've got 39 women finishing on the lead lap, I mean, it, it's too close to call. Like we've got roughly equivalent depth at this point of field. Um, and things are advancing really quickly on the women's side too, uh, as as it gets more and more competitive. Um, lots of things are happening there, uh, but but yeah, but only twenty five women are paid, which means you have fourteen. Actually, boy, that's some nice symmetry, isn't it? You have fourteen women who are finishing on the lead lap who aren't getting paid one penny. And I think this this highlights a really important issue and one that kind of um, you know exists in the shadows. Uh, for people who kind of appreciate cross and watch cycle cross, but is very real for the racers who do cross in that it is very, very expensive to go and race in Europe um, for a male rider or a female rider. Um, and, you know, arguably it costs the same for me to buy a plane ticket, ship my bikes over, stay in a place, eat food. I mean, they're not charging me less because I'm a woman to get over to race in Europe. Um, I'm not getting a, a, you know, a break on my plane fare or, uh, you know, my bike fees. Uh, and then, you know, they get over there and they've paid all this money. They've invested all this time. They've taken the time off work. Or maybe, you know, this is their job. This is their livelihood. And they're expecting to to make enough from these races like, like Helen Wyman does. Uh, I mean, obviously subsidized by sponsors, but make enough from these races to make a living. And then you're presented with this kind of a prize list. And to me, that's just absolutely unacceptable. And yeah. I think beyond that is kind of the reason that this is, it's, it's kind of like the snake eating its tail and that you're never going to have that high level professional uh, cyclocross if you don't have women funneling into it. And if you're asking someone uh, you know, say like a woman my age, a 27-year-old woman to, uh, you know, drop everything, spend 10 grand, go over to Europe to race her cross bike, take three weeks off of work to do it during Christmas, not see her family, and, you know, lose all that money, which many women do, and they do it happily. 
Um, but you know, for the equivalent man, they can at least go over there and be like, well, if I finish, you know, five laps down from Sven, I'm at least going to get paid 300 euros. Yeah. And it's just like, it's, it's not, it's not sustainable and it's not fundable. And I've seen so many talented women in, in all disciplines of cycling in cyclocross, in road, in mountain say, decide that, you know, actually I'd rather have a career. I'd rather, I'd rather have a better chance at making sustainable money because you know at the end of the day for a lot of these women they need a paycheck they need a way to survive and they need a way to actually continue to do this and giving them a prize list like this is saying only the absolutely the most dedicated the ones that have the sponsors the ones that are willing to drop that 10 grand are the ones that are going to continue and there are going to be some talents that are just going to walk away because they're going to say you know what i don't have 10 grand well that might be that might be a good point to drop the mic and walk out (laughs) <laughs> i will drop the mic <laughs> that was great yeah yeah i guess the only thing i can i can say that so I, I guess we'll close out there i guess the only <laughs> thing i can add to that is like yeah the dedication is there and hey you know people are talking about making cyclocross an olympic sport right well let's start taking you know the men's and women's sides of this equally seriously you know because i think that's so important. uh if if we're gonna close on that note, I wanna I wanna offer our listeners uh, a few bike races to to check out. If if people are just hearing about women's races but don't really know what's up, oh, that's a great uh, idea. The and and if uh, hey, Maddie, if you miss any, Francis should probably tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm thinking of the Milton Keynes World Cup that came down to this incredible duel between Sana Kant and Katie Compton. Uh, and I'm thinking of the World Cup in Zolder that had Mariana Voss, Katarina Nash, and Pauline Ferrand Prevot battling each other going into the last couple laps together. Also, and if I can add to that, at, at, um, Ferrand Prevot is it. now hopping barriers. Yeah, that's what I was what I was yeah. kind of thinking about when I was saying that there's a bit, there's like a lot of progression happening right now, and it's because of the competition. I, I have I have many thoughts on technical differences and i basically i don't think it comes down to women can't hop bears i think that now they're going to start feeling like they need to and they're going to start doing it something the game yep all right and what a what a fabulous show i think i mean it was pretty intense (laughs) but i think i don't know it wasn't i was i was worried that this would get really ragey uh and it didn't so i'm proud of all of us Got to keep the rage at bay. I could have. Got to keep the rage at bay. Got to hold the back. (laughs) Thanks. Thank you so, so, so much, Francis, for joining us. Hey, this was kind of, um, you know, kind of heavy. So you want to come back next week and talk about some lighter stuff? You know what? I would love that. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, Francis. (laughs) Oh, hey, hey, where can people find you on the internet if they want more of your thoughts and uh, ideas, which of Uh, course they should. So probably the best way to find me would to be to uh, look me up on Twitter, which is uh, at Francis Tastic, uh, F-R-A-N-C-E-S, uh, and then Tastic, like fantastic. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you can hear me rant about women cycling and how I botch making ramen at the end of the day. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah. And Matteo, what about you? Uh, people can find me on Twitter at underscore Matteo, where I occasionally mumble some things about bikes, and I also occasionally rant about people I see on the bus. <laughs> there was an epic bus live tweet not so long ago. I remember that one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Greg, where can people find you? <laughs> at Grolby on Twitter. Yes, where I tweet far too often about mundane and boring things, but that's what Twitter's for. Yep. Uh, as far as the show goes... Hey, um, guys, now I know some of you listening out there actually know me in real life and know Matthew in real life. And what I want to know is, why on earth have you not gone to iTunes and left a review? Come on, guys. I mean, help us out. It really helps us out in the rankings if you can do that. More people will hear the show. We'll get really famous. We'll make millions of dollars. Really famous. Yeah. So if you're listening on the web, and I know at least one of of you is, scroll down. There's a link right there. There's a link right there. It'll take you to a place you can do it. So so do that. And you can also email us if you want to, uh, honestbikeprogram at gmail.com. Thanks very, 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 very much for listening. We love you all, and we'll catch you again (laughs) next week.
you still cheap, we should be wrong.